Amen. Romans chapter number 13. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number 13. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach this morning while pastor's away. And if you're disappointed because you thought you were going to hear Pastor Ingram, come back next Sunday. And uh, he'll be here and we're excited to uh, have him back. And they're away getting some time of uh, sharpening and equipping. And so we're thankful for that. Romans chapter number 13. Once you're there, let's all stand together. We're just going to read a few verses here, and then I'll let you be seated. We'll stand for the reading of God's Word, Romans chapter number 13. And I want to call your attention to just two verses here toward the end of the chapter, verse number 11 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Thank you. You may be seated. I heard a story about a man who went to the doctor to have some tests run to find out what might be wrong with him. And the doctor called him a few days later and said, I've got some bad news and I've got some worse news. The man said, okay, well, let's hear it. The doctor said, well, the bad news is we've got about 24 hours left to live based on the test that we ran. The man says, wow, that's pretty bad news. I can't imagine what would be worse than that. The doctor said, well, I was supposed to tell you yesterday. <laughs> you know, imagine you were to find out that you had only a few months left to live. Your time here on earth was limited. It's, a, it's something that because of the fallen nature of the world that we live in, because of uh, the curse of sin, uh, is a reality. You know, as advanced as medicine is, uh, there's still uh, no immunity for disease. There's still no immunity for sickness. There's still no immunity for death. Uh, those days are coming. And uh, if you were to receive that type of news that your time was really limited here on earth, you may try to cram in as much as you possibly can in the time that you have left. You might travel to places you've always wanted to visit. You might seek out experiences you've always wanted to do. You might clear out some time in your schedule for things you've always uh, wanted to try. It wouldn't be surprising or really even difficult to understand why someone would want to try to make the most of the days that they have left. It'd be understandable to uh, see someone in that uh, type of uh, situation try to indulge themselves with as many experiences and things as possible. After all, their time is limited. Their days are numbered. You know, we have a term for that sort of thing, right? We call it a bucket list. We try to get in all the things that we've wanted to do before we kick the bucket, before we die. And there's even a website, bucketlist.net, with uh, the top 10 items it tells us of people's bucket lists. And some of their top 10 items are things like seeing the northern lights, skydiving, going on a cruise, swimming with, swimming with dolphins, uh, going scuba diving, running a marathon. You know, I saw a picture the other day of a man eating a taco, dipping it into a nacho cheese fountain. I've never had a bucket list before, but I do now. <laughs> I saw a book even of a hundred things to do before you die. And surprisingly, call for help was not in it. Um, but Romans chapter number 13, some of you will get that later. Uh, Romans chapter 13, Paul gives us really a radically different response to a similar situation, to a similar deadline. We see here in Romans chapter number 13, the Apostle Paul is reminding the Christians in this time that our time is limited, that there's an event that's drawing closer and closer every day, and it's the Lord's return. 
And he's reminding these believers that in light of the imminent return of Christ, that we're exhorted not to indulge ourselves, not to just satisfy our flesh, not to just give in and do the desires that we've always, always had, but to give ourselves to taking the gospel to the lost around us. You know, the scriptures are clear that the Lord's returning one day. John chapter 14 and verse 3, Jesus said, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7, Christ said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. You know, believers in the first century believed and lived as if the Lord was coming soon. They lived as if the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. Can I remind you, that was 2,000 years ago. They were living as if the Lord was coming. The Bible is also clear that we don't know when he will come. Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, it says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1 through 3 reminds us, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We don't know when the Lord's going to return, but we know that it's coming soon. His return could be at any moment. There are no biblical prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. There are no end time events that have to take place before the Lord comes back. The Bible even tells us we're living in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the day and age in which we're living. That sounds like the kind of times that we're living in, the last days. And it's no secret to anybody who's paying attention to the world around us that things are getting worse. Murders are increasing. Wars are increasing. The frequency of natural disasters are increasing. The immorality and the wickedness of man is increasing. Persecution against Christians is increasing. Things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse. And the Bible tells us that in these last days, perilous times will come. And we're living in those last days. Paul says it this way in this passage here. He says, our salvation is nearer than when we believed. He's saying that the time is coming nearer. Christ's coming is imminent. It's getting closer and closer every day. So in light of the, return, the Lord's return, in light of the fact that things are getting worse, what are Christians to do? What's the answer? What's the solution? What's our response? What are, we be, what are we to be doing in these last days? This morning, I want to encourage you in light of this, in light of what we see happening all, over, all, over around, all around us, I want to encourage you to quit. To quit. And I think we find it, you say, Brother Chair, you said that wrong. You're not supposed to say that. No, we'll see here. Paul gives us, I believe, Three things he wants these believers to quit doing. And he encourages them in light of the Lord's return to quit some things. I want you to notice if you're taking notes here. Number one, I believe he's reminding these believers to quit sleeping. To quit sleeping. 
Look what he says in verse number 11. It says, In that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. To awake out of sleep. The Apostle Paul uses some interesting words here in this verse. And we notice these two words, awake and sleep. You know, uh, anybody who knows my kids, they have a reputation for being able to sleep anywhere. Um, you've probably seen it. We were given some good advice when we found out we were having Ella that, uh, you know, how to train your kids to sleep. And we were, we were encouraged not to try to make a, the most conducive environment for them to sleep in, but to just let them learn how to sleep. And so we, we never changed our schedule. We didn't get the noisemakers. We didn't play music. If you want to do that, that's fine. We didn't try to make it quiet. We just said, hey, it's nap time. You're going to go to sleep. Go to sleep. And we'd vacuum the house. We'd mow the lawn outside. We'd work. We'd do whatever. And they learned how to fall asleep. And the consequence of that is that our kids can sleep with whatever's going on. They can sleep on the floor. I've walked into a group violin, list, violin lesson, and Kinley is out cold on the floor in the middle of a group violin lesson. Our kids, they can sleep, Kinley can sleep on one black chair in the fellowship hall. It's amazing. I remember we went to Disney World and we were riding the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And Kinley was asleep the whole time. I mean, I'm talking about down the dips with the loud cannon explosions, the, everything. She was out cold. She don't even remember it. She can sleep anywhere. And most of, the, most of the pictures on my phone of my kids are them sleeping in different poses and different places that were interesting. And so we're going to have fun scrapbooks later on in life. Uh, it's pretty funny. But what's not so much fun is waking them up. And uh, the, the consequence of them being able to sleep good is that they're difficult to wake up sometimes. And Kinley in particular uh, is the more difficult to wake up. You can go in her room in the morning. You can turn on the lights. You can talk loudly. You can play music. Uh, you can, you know, Kinley, it's time to wake up. Nothing. I mean, she's out. And, uh, and I don't know about you. If you have kids, maybe you can sympathize with me what this, maybe, this experience is like in the morning. But you go to wake up Kinley, and it starts with a, a gentle Kinley. It's time to wake up. Got to get ready for school. Right? And you keep doing that. Maybe like five times into it, it's getting a little bit louder. Kinley, it's time to wake up. Time to go to school. By like the 30th time, you're just like, Kinley, wake up. We got to go. You're going to miss breakfast. We're going to leave you at home. We got to go to school. We got to get there on time. We're not going to be late because of you. Anybody know? What I'm talking about, you've experienced that before. Maybe you were on the receiving end of that. Uh, but Paul, he's using the here awake. And in the Greek word, it, uh, the Greek, it means to waken from obscurity or inactivity or from a moral state of sloth to an active life devoted to God. I don't think Paul was saying to these believers, hey, it's time to awake. Uh, I don't think he was saying, all right, guys, it's time to wake up. No, I think there was some urgency. I think he was trying to, to get them out of their slumber. That word there for sleep, it's the Greek word hypnos, which is where we get our English word hypnosis. It means that they were in a daze, they were drowsy. And so the Apostle Paul, he's trying to wake these believers up from their spiritual slumber. He says, it's time to awake out of sleep. It's high time, he says. Knowing the time, knowing the day in which we live, he's trying to get them to awake out of their slumber. What he's saying is that they were apathetic. They were in a spiritual daze. They were, there was an overall lethargy in their faith. They lacked intensity. And Paul is trying to stir them to awaken. He's trying to kick them into gear. You know, we've got a lot of sleepy Christians today. A lot of apathetic Christians. A lot who lack intensity in their faith. They read their Bible, but not with much excitement. They pray, but not with much earnestness or effective. They attend church, but only as spectators. They build relationships with the lost, but they're not concerned enough to share the gospel with them. They're saved. They're present. They're there. They attend church. They're at all the church functions, but they're asleep. 
They're asleep. They're apathetic to what's going on around them. There doesn't seem to be much spiritual activity. They're just coasting through life. They're on, a, if you will, a spiritual siesta. They're asleep. And Paul is trying to wake these believers up. You know, you can appear to be committed and in reality be sleeping. You ever met a sleepwalker? I remember when I was in college. Is Don in here? Where's Don? Is he here? Um, he's security. Uh, Don knows this guy I'm talking about. We had a guy in our dorm, Andy Knezovich. That guy was a sleepwalker. I mean, he could be up talking to you, eyeballs open, everything. Be totally asleep. I remember I was the dorm supervisor, and I'd be in the lobby in the middle of the night. And we had guys coming in late from work, and um, my job was to make sure that they got in, sign them in, make sure everybody's accounted for. And this is after lights out. Everybody's supposed to be asleep. Just randomly, he'd come running down the hall, swing open the door, and be like, Andy, what are you doing? He says, I heard somebody knocking. I talked to him about it the next morning. Hey, I need you to stay in bed after lights out. You're not supposed to get up. You know? He's like, I don't remember any of that. He would get up in the middle of the night and just rearrange his roommate's shoes. They'd wake up in the morning trying to get ready. Wouldn't have a clue where they were. They're looking for their shoes. Somebody stole my, cho- my shoes. I don't know where they're at. Have to talk to Andy. Andy don't remember where they went. And so it was a scavenger hunt every morning. But, you know, you can, you can be present and in reality be slumbering. That's what he's saying. He says you can sing hymns, you know, you can sing hymns and not be engaged. You can come to church and you know the cadence. You know when to stand up. You know when to sit down. You know what's coming next. But you're not engaged. You're asleep. You can sit through a sermon. You can listen to pastor preach, but you're not in tune. You can pay your tithes. You can give, but you're not doing it out of a, a heart of gratitude. You're just going through the motions. You're maintaining the habits. You're maintaining your habit of prayer. You're maintaining your habit of Bible reading, but you're asleep. You know, if you looked at these, these types of Christians, they might look good on the outside, but spiritually, they're asleep. They've grown apathetic. They've grown lethargic toward the work of the Lord. They're just going through the motions. And Paul is calling these sleepy Christians to wake up. He's saying in verse number 11, that it's time to awake out of sleep. And he encourages them along this line. He says in verse number 11, before this, he says, knowing the time. Knowing the time, it's time to wake up. It's time to awake out of sleep. That, that phrase there that he's talking about knowing the time, it's referring to the season, to the opportunity. That's what he's talking about, knowing the opportunity, knowing the season. Paul is communicating to these believers that today we may have an opportunity to share the gospel with the lost around us, but it's an opportunity that's for a season. It's an opportunity that's for a, a limited time. You know, seasons come and go, right? We're getting ready to leave the summer season and enter into the fall season, right? So the weather gets cooler, you're saying amen to that, right? Football's around the corner. We're about to get our extra hour when we fall back. Most importantly, fall break. And all the academy students and teachers said amen. Uh, but we're, seasons come and go. They change, right? They're constantly coming and going. And, and what he's trying to communicate is that uh, this, this season, it's limited. It's time to wake up. We're in this season. It's not going to last forever. It's a unique opportunity that may not be available tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. It may be too late for you. It may be too late for them. And Paul is telling them, it's time to wake up. I think we've all had times in our life where for one reason or another, maybe your alarm wasn't set properly. Maybe it didn't function properly, but you overslept. You ever had that happen before? I remember that happened to me and my wife one time. We, I think we were in California. We were trying to catch an early flight the next day. And something happened where our alarm clock didn't go off or we didn't hear it. And I remember my wife, when she realized what time it was and what had happened, she said, Brendan, wake up. It's time to go. 
And what she was communicating to me is that immediate action is required. We have got to get up. We've got to get dressed. We've got to run to the car. We've got to get to the airport. It's time to act. It's time to go. And that's what Paul's message is to these believers at Rome. Immediate action is required. It's time to awake. Knowing the time, it's time to awake out of sleep. There's no time for slumber. Things are pressing that are at hand. It's a call to understand that there's something we're supposed to be doing. There's something that needs to be happening. It's a call to take a look at our priorities. It's a call to see what you've been doing with your life. It's not time for sleeping. It's not time for slumbering. It's not time for loafing. This is the time to be alert. It's the time to be awake. It's time to get our priorities right. Why? Because the Lord's return is imminent. The Lord is coming back. We have but this season. I heard about a farmer who had a grandfather, uh, old grandfather clock, and it went haywire one night, and it chimed 14 times at midnight. And the farmer was laying in bed, and he heard those 14, 14 chimes, and he counted them all up, and he woke up, his wife said, quick, it's time to get up. It's later than it's ever been before. <laughs> and can I remind you, it's later than it's ever been before. Paul was reminding these believers, this is 2,000 years ago. It's later than it's ever been before. We're further into, uh, to, into it than the Apostle Paul was, than these believers were. Each day, it's drawing closer and closer. And so Paul is encouraging these believers, it's time to quit sleeping. It's time to wake up. It's time to get into gear. It's time to take action. Not only do we see he encourages them to quit sleeping, but we see number two here, he says, quit delaying. Quit delaying. Look again at verse number 11. It says in that knowing the time, he says that now it is high time. Look what he says in verse number 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He's saying it's high time. It's the, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. I believe what he's trying to communicate to these believers is that there's an urgency in what we should be doing. There's an urgency. We can't afford to delay. The work that we have to be doing must be done with urgency. And he uses the terms day and night to express that urgency. You know, the night that he's referring to there, it's speaking of the present age. It's talking about the day in which we live. And the day there is speaking of the coming of Christ. And Paul says here about this day and night experience, he's saying that the night is far spent. It's far spent. And it's a word that means to draw to a close. To accomplish. He's communicating, we're in the last hours. We're in the last part of the night. The day is coming. The night is far spent. It's drawing to a close. It's almost over. Dawn is coming. The day is at hand. There's a strong sense of urgency here in the language that Paul is using. He's saying that time is running out. The opportunity is fleeting. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. You remember in John chapter 9, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while this day. The night cometh when no man can work. He's expressing urgency. The day is coming to an end. Matthew 4 verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're living in the last days. Every day we live, the coming of Jesus is one day closer than the day before. And that ought to be motivating to us as believers. And Paul is saying it this way. He's saying, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. When you think about salvation, it has three aspects, right? There's a past, present, and future component to our salvation. Our salvation, it, it took, took place in the past at a point in time. The day that you understood that you were a sinner, sin was your problem, hell was your consequence, Jesus was your answer, and you placed your faith, trust, and dependence in Him for salvation, for, for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. That's the past component 
of our salvation. But then there's the present component, right? We call that sanctification. That's the work of the Holy Spirit living in me, who's making me and transforming me into the image of Christ. And then ultimately there's going to be that future component of our salvation, right? Glorification, which will take place when I'm in the presence of Christ, whether by death or by his return. And so Paul here is talking about our salvation being nearer than when, it, uh, when, it, when we believed. He's speaking of that reunion with Christ. When we see him face to face, the day that we're going to stand before Christ is coming closer and closer. And I think if you were to look at this passage and you take the most direct application of this, he's talking about the coming of Christ. But you know, it's also a great reminder of the fact that our life is brief. Our life is short. You know, not only is Christ's return imminent, but our lives are short. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Job 7, verse 6 says, My days are swifter, swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. James 4, verse 14, For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Our life is short. Our life is brief. It's here but for a moment. And the fact that we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account for our short life and what we did for it, it ought to motivate us to get busy to work with the time that we have left. There ought to be an urgency. There ought to be a, a lack of delaying. But on top of all that, there's a greater motivation. That is that Christ is going to return. His return is imminent. I may not die before he comes back. My time may be even shorter than my actual life here on earth. And so Paul is trying to get these believers in Rome to understand there's no time to delay. Every breath we take, every step we take, every day we live, it's drawing us closer and closer to Christ's coming. It's something that should be on the heart of every believer, every day, every hour, every minute. It's the fact that Jesus is coming again. That's a glorious event. The Bible calls it our blessed hope. We're looking forward to that day, but we know that our time is short. The trumpet could blow at any moment. We can't put it off any longer the work that we have to do. You know, today may be the last message you hear. Tonight may be the last prayer you offer. Tomorrow may be the last day of work you ever have. Have you accomplished the work you were placed here to do? Have you shared the gospel with your loved ones? Have you shared the gospel with your coworkers? Have you shared the gospel with your friends and your neighbors? You say, well, I'm planning to. Paul says, quit planning. Quit delaying. Start executing. Start doing. We don't want to wait to start witnessing. We don't wait to start giving. We don't wait to start committing our lives to Christ. We don't wait to get serious about Bible reading. We don't wait to get serious about prayer. Do it now, he says. Quit delaying. Quit putting it off. He says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. No, don't come to the end of your life and think, I wish I had, when you can live your life in such a way that you can get to the end of your life and say, I'm glad I did. Do it now. Don't put it off. There needs to be an urgency. Quit delaying. You know, we tend to be obsessed with time. Right? It's probably one of the first thoughts that occupies our mind in the morning. We wake up. What time is it? Right? We're obsessed with time. We have phones. We have watches. We have calendars. We have schedules. All of it to help us keep, keep on time, to keep track of our time. You ever thought about how many devices and things there are in your house that tell you what time it is? Right? You got your phones. You got your computers. You got iPads, tablets. You got... Your, your oven tells you what time it is. Your microwave, everything tells you what time it is. I went through, I counted all the things in my house last night. I think I got about 18 things in my house that tell me what time it is. We're fixated with time. But the question is, are we measuring time correctly? See, we tend to be most concerned about what time is it now. And God is concerned with what time is drawing near. 
And so life is short. Eternity is significant. It's time, he says, we quit delaying. So we need to quit sleeping. We need to quit delaying. Thirdly, he says here, we need to quit playing. We need to quit playing. Look at what he says in verse number 12 again. He says, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. In light of the coming of our Lord, Paul is admonishing these believers to get serious about living for the Lord. Get serious about your walk for the Lord. All right, Tori said, the imminent return of our Lord is a great Bible argument for a pure, unselfish, devoted, unworldly, active life of service. And Paul here, he's using this analogy of changing garments. He's exhorting us to cast off the works of darkness, but in his place, put on the armor of light. You know, that word armor, it suggests battle. It suggests battle. It's interesting to note that we're not putting on our play clothes. We're putting on working clothes. We're dressing appropriately for the assignment that we've been called to do. How are we to put on this armor? Well, he says we're to cast off the old works of darkness. That's our old man. We're to put on that new armor. That's the new man that's renewed in Christ. Uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In Christ, we have a new identity. We have a new direction. We have a new purpose. And we're wearing a whole new uniform. Paul says in later in verse number 14 of Romans 13, says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is exhorting us that this Christian life, it's not a playground, it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. We're to be focused and prepared as soldiers of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's been, uh, pastor's been taking us through a study on Sunday nights. We're looking at the spiritual battle. And we're looking at the armor that God has given to us and God has uh, provided for the believer in Ephesians chapter 6. And that, that's the armor that Paul is calling us to put on. But you know, armor is only good if you're wearing it. And so we need to be making that daily appropriation. We need to be putting it on each day. We need to be recognizing that there's a spiritual battle that's raging all around us. And as soldiers, God has called us not just to hold ground, but to gain ground. Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and, the, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It says the gates of hell. That's a defensive position. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hell is on the defense. The church is on the offense. We're already victorious. We're not to be in retreat. The battle has already been won, the Bible says. You know, pastor reminds us often, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And, the Christian, the, and Christ has called us to take enemy territory. He's called us to take enemy territory. He's called us to take back our families. He's called us to take back our marriages. He's called us to take back our cities. You know, we shouldn't be okay with rising divorce rates in the church. We shouldn't be okay with the, the number of young people that are leaving the church upon graduation. We shouldn't be okay with the rise of immorality and the lack of purity in the church. Too many churches have become complacent. Too many believers are asleep. Too many are just content to hold the ground and defend what we have left. Listen, we're to be advancing the cause of Christ. We need to be invading enemy territory. Listen, the battle for our young people is too important to retreat. 
The battle for our families is too important to retreat. The battle for our marriages are too important to retreat. Winston Churchill said, victory is not won by evacuations. Victory is not won by evacuations. God has given us the armor and it's up to us to put it on and to do battle. It's not time to play church. It's not time to be casual in your faith. It's time to quit playing and start battling. Listen, our kids, our family, those around us need to see us engaged. They need to see us serious about the things of the Lord. They need to see us participating in the services. Our kids shouldn't look at us and not see us singing. Our kids shouldn't look at us and see us sitting around not doing anything. Do you want your kids to turn out for God in spite of you or because of you? We need to be engaged. It's time to quit playing and start battling. Satan is not sleeping and his devils are not slumbering. You know, Christians might not take the coming of the Lord seriously, but I'll tell you what, Satan is. And he's doing everything in his power to destroy as many lives as possible before the Lord comes back. And so he encourages us. He says, it's time to quit sleeping. It's time to quit delaying. It's time to quit playing. The Lord's return is imminent. He could come at any day. And Paul's exhorting us not to indulge ourselves, but rather to give ourselves to taking the gospel to the lost around us. You know, there are lost people all around us. You don't have to travel to Asia, Africa, and Europe to find a mission field. All you got to do is travel down Salem Road, and you'll see scores of lost people all around us who, if they were to die today, take their last breath, they would spend an eternity in hell. The world's getting darker. The end is drawing closer. Persecution is growing greater. What do we do? Paul says quit. We need to quit sleeping. We need to quit delaying. We need to quit playing. It's time to quit sleeping. It's time to quit slumbering. It's time to put off the deeds of darkness. It's time to put on the armor of light. It's time to take Jesus with you everywhere you go. It's time to get serious about your faith. We need God to awaken us. We need our hearts to be gripped with the reality of the spiritual condition of those around us. We need to quit talking about doing and start going. We need a fresh glimpse of the spiritual battle that's taking place all around us. We need to be taking back ground that has been relinquished in defeat. It's time to quit sleeping. It's time to quit delaying. And it's time to quit playing. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder if you become spiritually lethargic. Are you casual in your faith? Are you, you know, you're here, you're active on the Sunday school role, but are you just going through the motions? Ask God to awaken you. Maybe you've been putting off something the Lord's been prompting you to do. Listen, can I encourage you? Don't delay. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Commit to God that this morning is going to be the day that I make that, make that phone call to the one that God put on my heart. Today's going to be the day I talk to that neighbor I've always thought to witness to. Whatever it might be, don't delay. Don't put it off any longer. You know, there's a spiritual battle that's raging. Souls are in the balance. Satan and his demons, they're not planning to go down without a fight. Maybe there's some ground in your life that's been lost. Maybe there's some people in your life that we need to be doing battle for. Listen, start appropriating the armor that God has given you and go to battle. I don't know how the Lord spoke to you this morning, but if he spoke to you, the altars are open, the piano's playing. I want to encourage you to come and do business with the Lord.